Every Saturday, you can hear the latest sounds straight from Jamaica on the Dance Hall Reggae Show, along with a variety of hits from the last 20 years. Something different, something new. Dance Hall Reggae, every Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m., right here on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. are listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. On today's show, we'll be listening to a conversation with Lorna Goodison. This show was taped back in 2014. In May of this year, Lorna was named the Poet Laureate of Jamaica. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, I'm so happy <laughs> to be sitting here in the studio with Lorna Goodison. Hi, Hi T. How, how are you? <laughs> I'm so happy. Oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. I should say we're taping the program. It's December 5th, 2014. Um and Lorna, it's it's winter here in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I had noticed. <laughs> it's, it's not gone unnoticed. It's yeah. not lost on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of things are happening. This is this is a moment in time where um, it's 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 kind of a sad thing. We've had it's lovely and glorious as well. But you're you're retiring from. Um, from teaching, from yes, teaching here yes, at yes. the University of Michigan. Yes, uh, I, um, and from teaching, I, I, I have no plans to teach anywhere else. You know, so just teach. Yes. Well, that's my plan now, anyway. But I certainly don't have any intention of going to teach anywhere else. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's not like everyone can pack up their bags and <laughs> follow wherever you're going to be no. going, landing next. No. Um, do you have some? Um, it sounds then like you've got other plans, other types of plans. I plan all being well to just take a deep breath for a while. You know, to just see uh, there is writing I want to do, and so I'm gonna try to just be still for a while and see how that comes about. But that's as far as my plans have have progressed. You know, I I don't have any huge big plans. I I have hopes and some dreams. I'd like to perhaps, you know, there's a chance I might be doing some readings in in Southern Africa next year for a few months. So um, that's perhaps the most, you know, the biggest plan I have, but for for the moment, right now, I just am trying to, you know, to live in a good way and to just be. I am, of course, sad because this has been my home for such so many years, and I have so many friends and, you know, people I think of as my family you now here. So it's it's not exact. I'm not exactly dancing for joy, but um, there's, you know, I've I'm going, and it's 
And that's what it is. And I'll miss you, T. Oh. <laughs> um, I'll miss you, Lorna. Um, when, 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 when did you come to when Michigan? When did I first come and, here? And what brought you here? I first came here in 1991. But you weren't born then, were you, T? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of you to say, uh, but uh, as the gray hair here will attest. <laughs> no, I, the, I was on a fellowship at the University of Toronto, uh, so it was pretty close. And there was a, a Jamaican uh, lecturer here, I think she, uh, Dr. Veronica Gregg. She was in the, the Department of English. And she was doing work on West Indian women writers like Jean Rees. And she knew of my work and she invited me to come down and give a reading. And the then head of the department was Dr. Bob Weisbuck. And he invited me to come and re- to, to teach for a semester. And so that's what happened. And, um, and, and then was, I got invited to come back. And then it started off on that sort of, you know, every now and again I'd come in to teach. And then one day I found myself here and then I was here and then I just, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not as simple as it sounds, but that is pretty much what happened. And I came in 91 and I stayed. And, and yes, and, and, and so unexpectedly to make Michigan one of your places of, as a home base. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, one of my brothers, I come from a large family, my brother, I have six brothers, and my youngest brother, Nigel, went to, the, to Eastern, Michigan, Eastern Michigan on a soccer scholarship. But that was many years ago, long before I came here. And so I've had relatives who have come this way. And I actually had a niece who graduated from the university, from Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan. No, not Eastern Michigan. Sorry. Let me scrub oh, that. It was, okay. it was Michigan State. My brother went to Michigan State University on a soccer scholarship. And then about seven or eight years ago, one of my nieces came to Michigan, to, to, to Michigan State and did medicine. She know, she's now a doctor in Florida. So I've had, and I also have another niece, believe it or not. You met her at my dinner, my niece yes. Debbie, who teaches at a small college somewhere in Michigan. So Michigan and the Goodison yes. family actually <laughs> yes. is quite... So we have had several Goodisons. <laughs> and also I understand there's a Goodison, a town called Goodison in Michigan. Oh, is there? And I've, yes, I... We sh- Ah. Yes, we need to go. I need to that go. Would find that would be fun. Wouldn't that be <laughs> yes, great? Would be a good road, a road trip. trip. Yes. yes, but I found out there is a place called Goodison in 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 the state of Michigan. Do you think there's any possibility that it could be one of your family members that was even a, an earlier pioneer I than Nigel? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. It's, it's not a very common name. And um, I don't know, but it I seems like an aus- it's an it auspicious seems, name, precisely. Yeah, but it also seems. Unusual that um, in all of the United States there's a place called Goodison in the state of Michigan, and somehow four four family members right. <laughs> have found their way here. You know, magnetized to Michigan. Yes. <laughs> and so, and well, Lorna, we've got also we've got a lot of your books on the table here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, Baby Mother and the King of Swords short stories. Yeah. Um, uh, Traveling Mercies, um, Turn Thanks, uh, mm-hmm. the selected poems by the University of Michigan Press. Yes, um, that was another fortunate and wonderful thing that came out of my visit here. The, that this, the, the University of Michigan Press decided to pick up my some of my poems and publish them in that 
Is this when, when yes. was Larry at the uh, instrumental yes, in that? Yes, yes. Uh, I oh, I have so many people I want to thank along the way, and certainly Larry Goldsteel is one of them. And Linda Gregerson wrote this marvelous blurb on the back, and yes, but so yeah, many thanks. Well, I think I think that well, um, there people were able to recognize a good thing. <laughs> well, I don't. I'm I'm grateful. Honestly, that's all I will say. I'm very very grateful. And we well, let's see. And t- since we've started this, to us, all flowers are roses. Mm-hmm. Controlling the silver um, from Harvey River, a memoir by my mother, uh, uh, a memoir of my mother and her island, um, and now also um, Oracabesa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is out just uh, just last year with Carcanet Press in Manchester, yes, England. Yes, yes. You know Manchester. <laughs> I wish I knew it better, but <laughs> let's go, Man United. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but it's also, I should say, there's times when I wish, like I love radio, but there's times when I do wish we had some pictures that we could beam out into the ether because the covers, like it's so beautiful, and these are all your paintings that yes, are on the yes. the covers of each mm-hmm. of these books too. Um, and and this one too, Lorna. No, I didn't. Do that. With, okay, because no. it doesn't. It looks different from it looks the. Different. From I did part, not. I'm not owning that one. No. This one is not. Yeah. No. But the, <laughs> and can you tell us about? Um, can, describe like the 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 cover, like what on um the the latest book. Rockabessa? Yes, please. It's an old painting because unfortunately, as I sometimes say, once my writing took over. The painting went off in a huff. It just does. It went away and it never came back. I've not really painted in many years, and but, you know, I I am by training a painter, but um, this particular painting is 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 a fairly old one, and it is it belongs to a friend of mine, who has he he says he's been over his bed for many years, and it represents a. In Jamaica and in the Caribbean, there are various syncretizations of, you know, African and European religions. And this, I call this the Mothers of Revival, because revival is a kind of, you know, religious grouping or sect. And a lot of the, the, the people in these religions are the leaders of women. So this is called the Mothers of Revival. And I like the idea, I like the word revival, and I like the idea of revival and what it represents, because very much that is one of the... the the themes, reoccurring themes in my own work. The idea that as human beings, or even in the natural world, sometimes things, you know, appear to die and then they're revived again. So um, that is what this this cover is about. And um, it's very old and I don't know if I could ever do something like that again, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> yes. And and that was when you mentioned like the, the 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 schooling this training it began in an art school in Jamaica when you were young yeah very even, yes. like as a girl yes right? and um I, and i studied privately uh, you know as a, a teenager they were they're very jamaica's an interesting place it certainly was when i was growing up in that uh, many of our teachers were people from elsewhere and you know i i had teachers from england and various parts of europe and all of them bringing something different, you know. And so I, I studied privately with some of these people. And then I went to the Jamaica School of Art for a while. And then I went to the School of the Art Students League in New York. Could I, I stop yeah. you for one second, Lerner? Was it in Jamaica? Was it when you were um, a teenager? Were you, were you sort of identified as this 
this artist because I feel like I've read that you've you've published anonymous poems yes. in the in the <laughs> Jamaican um, yes. gleaner yes. and. So was it something where you... I was always writing. And, and were but, you cho- like sort of chosen in a way? I think what... I, I don't know For how art? To, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always knew I was going to be some kind of... I was would be involved in some sort of creative endeavor. Of that, I, I was sure. Exactly what it was, I was not sure. Because in large families, you, you're probably... You don't have this experience, but in large, my, my sister is a journalist a very well-known journalist in the Caribbean. And so in my family, I thought, well, she's a writer. I mean, that job is taken. But no matter what I did, I was always writing. I I had very little control over the fact that from time to time, I would be seized by a need to write these poems and I would would just be writing them down. And And it was poems. That's how it came. They started as poems. And um, so, so I just thought to myself, this is something I will do in private. On my own, I will just keep being, as I said, seized by a need to write these things and I'd write them down. But I always was painting, you know, everybody knew that I was a painter and mm. or I was, you know, trying to be a painter. But and so, the, 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 you know, the, this was going along for several years and um, and then one day I just and once or twice I was anonymously publishing my poems in the Sunday paper because that's, that's where you publish poems then. Uh, but I tried to get rid of them at some point. I actually burnt a whole bunch of my poems once. I just thought, because I, I had no idea what to do with them. You see, in, where I'm from, there is no sort of way in which, you know, there were no MFA programs when I was growing up. I had no idea that you could go somewhere and study to be a writer. Or, you know, I had never heard of such a thing. You know, and the, the writers, I knew one or two writers in Jamaica, but they were pe- all, everybody had a job. You know, I, I knew, for example, a wonderful Jamaican writer called Vic Reed, but he ran a printry, which is, clo- you know, which worked very well with his writing. But he, he was a writer who owned a printry and <laughs> ran this printry. And every, every writer, anybody I knew was in, involved in that, in this sort of creative thing, had a day job. So my concern was really, what was my day job? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and art seemed like a likely thing. You know, I, I could do design stuff. And, but I never did actually, I never did do anything like that. I ended up being a copywriter because that was a way, that was a day job. Huh. And did some advertising. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of writers have been copywriters, you know. It's one of the best jobs for a writer. Because um, you have, I mean, it's fun, really. It was for a long time, and then it stopped being fun when I thought, I just cannot do this anymore. Right? <laughs> there are those moments. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take, well, you know what, we'll take a short break, and we'll come back. Today on Living Writers, Lorna Goodison is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got text engineering behind the glass. Um, we'll be right back.
welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Lorna Goodison is here. Lorna, thanks for choosing the the what we're the music for today. <laughs> what? Wh- why Miles Davis? <laughs> oh, I realize how blessed I am because in my family we have various have various family members who do various things, and one of my brothers, my many brothers, I have six from a very early age started collecting jazz and rhythm and blues records. So uh, the soundtrack to my life from a very early age was jazz and rhythm and blues. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm good. I know my jazz and rhythm and blues. I'm telling you that. And I remember... You should come in here and DJ. Oh, yeah. I remember the very, very young one hearing him play Miles Davis and it was, mm. it was from the album Walking. And... I just remember being transfixed by the sound and how extraordinary it was. You know, the best way I can describe it is to, I read somewhere, I think it may have been a jazz critic, not Hentoff. I think it was Hentoff who said that he was playing Miles one day and his little girl came into the room and said, Daddy, is that man blind? Because he sounds like a blind man. Isn't that a mark? But I'm not, it's, his sound is so, it's so internal. And so it just, it sounds like music you wouldn't hear outside, you right. know. And besides that, he's just, you know, who can, I, there's nobody yes. else like him. And nobody else sounds like him. And I, my son, I call my son Miles. That's how much I love and Miles. And that's why. Right? That, that's uh, totally, that's why. Yes. So, but, so I have a lot of my work is informed by those sounds, you know, by that kind of music, um, rhythm and blues and jazz. I particularly have a great fondness for you know, strong women singers like Nina Simone and Dakota Staten and Sarah Vaughan and those people. I, li- I I grew up listening to those those women sing, you know, or those those singers. I love the idea that if you're going to sing, you should sing. You know, I, I don't like sort of... He- <laughs> so it's not like it's whispering or this... Uh, no, I'm not big on that. Belt it out mm-hmm. or, or take or the Authority, fullness. authority. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of having authority. In it, whatever you do and I love that kind of music and I love that kind of singing and so that that is something I listen to a lot also I in Jamaica when I was growing up I have a dear friend called Bobby Hill Robert Hill Professor Robert Hill he's a very wonderfully well-respected historian works out of UCLA and he um He's done a lot of work on Marcus Garvey and but he, the thing about him is that his father was a great impresario and brought Anybody was anybody in the world of music, entertainment, and acting to Jamaica when I was growing up. So he would, honestly, on any given week in in, in Jamaica, you would have just people, it was just part of their, you know, when music, they were touring. So as a child, I grew up going to music. I mean, I remember, maybe I was nine or ten years old, sitting in a theater and hearing Emlyn Williams, that great Welsh actor, read, he was dressed like Charles Dickens, reading Dickens. And then, you know, the next week you would get somebody like, you know, Frankie Lyman and the teenagers <laughs> coming through work. And I, you know, I just would, I was a city child who went to the theater, who went to movies and who went to concerts. It was just a, a big part of my life. So um, all of this, you know, informs what I do. Yes. yes. And and the, your relationship to, to movement and sound and yes. being it. Yes, yes. And yes, I really... I, I owe a huge debt 
to those experiences I had a child when I would be, you know, just regularly, on a regular basis, I would go into a theater and I'd be transformed by some sort of, or transported by some great singer or actor or musician. I'd go to the, ba- they'd bring, you know, the Bolshoi Ballet would come through. And honestly, um, I, I'm hoping that Bobby, he, he will write a, a, a book one day. Because, you know, like, he would he sat on Paul Robeson's knee, you know, Marian Anderson, all <laughs> All of those people would just come to on a regular basis. Did you? And, and there's a you marvelous Paul story Robeson about Paul, yes, yeah. because it's a story. I love that story. I'm, I'm not. It's about Paul Robeson coming to Jamaica. And um, do you want to read that one? No, no I no, just want to tell okay. the story. Oh, yeah, tell us, <laughs> it's yeah. a better. But but the fact is that he came and everybody was you know being you know in awe of him, especially the, the, the privileged of the island you know, and everybody wanted to see him and speak with him and he came to dinner he went to dinner at the premier's house the then premier Norman Manley and the story was told to me by Edna Manley who was the wife of, of Norman Manley and the there. mother of Michael Manley She's, she before Mrs. Bush she was a woman who had was married to a prime minister and had a son who was a prime minister <laughs> but she she says he came to dinner and everybody was trying to get to talk to him and he said at the end of the dinner I'd like to meet the people who prepare this meal and he went into the kitchen and stood on the kitchen table and performed for the people who had cooked and the workers in, in you know so he was he was consistent obviously in his beliefs he was true. he was yeah it's true he wasn't he, say, trying to appear as something no he was ex- that was how he was mm. and I was I always remember that story because it's it's just a sign of greatness you know that <laughs> you know that was important to be true yes, yes. Uh-huh. um it's interesting from Harvey River, uh, the memoir that you wrote, My Mother and Her Island. Um, I feel like uh, when I read this book, Lorna, I had such a picture of um, this, not the cityscape. No, it's, it's the rural. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, so you had both. I did. And I, I credit that, that, con- that, that rural experience with sort of creating that necessary contradiction, which is poetry. It's at the heart of all poetry. I was born in the city. I was very much a city child, and then at an early, as most most people who grew up in Jamaica at that time, it was a regular part of your upbringing that you would be sent to the country for the summer, you know. And um, I just remember this incredible feeling of freedom and boundlessness. That sort of what Walt Whitman calls <laughs> unhemmed latitude <laughs> that city children don't have, you know, because you go to the country and you can run for miles and you swim in the river and. And just this, this incredibly intense engagement with the natural world, which um, I was, I, I've never forgotten. And that, you know, that took place when I was like maybe six or seven years old. And uh, well, maybe more like seven. But I just remember. Ne- Why, just what happened? Be- I just went to visit my. my, my, oh, the, my the, so what, that was yes. the first visit when you were the sort first, of. Yeah, I mean, I sort of driven, but like I stayed this time. Oh, I stayed. Yes. I, I stayed for weeks. You know, I, I was afraid at first because there was no electricity, and then I got over that. And then I, I just think that it was, I just, I still remember it. You know how beautiful it was, how beautifully liberating, and you know all all the things that the, the romantics and people who love the natural world ascribe to being in the natural world. That healing, the healing properties of you know good air and clean water and quiet. 
I didn't hear a car driving by. Yeah. It was it was marvelous. And so yeah. we will have. That's why you also have a, a faith and belief in stillness. Like when you yes. said that's the plan yes. for coming up is to find. Oh, absolutely! It's very much, and I don't think there is any good poetry or good that doesn't have that isn't somehow born out of that. You know, I think it's uh, well for me anyway. It, it's got to settle. The sediment has got to settle. You know, it's kind of like. And, <laughs> no, what is it? No, what, what were you going to say? No, just that. I mean, I, I, you, a lot of my work takes a, a long time because I, I'm, I'm always very aware of when it hasn't quite settled, and you know, the wall is not r- rising up nice and clear. So I have to wait for that to happen a lot of the times. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but yeah, yeah. And I think that is born out of that was born that tendency is born out of that those times of living in the country. And then when I, I was a teenager, my father died when I was 15, which was a very ter- harrowing, it was, it was a very, very terrible experience. And then I went to live with my sister and she lives in the Blue Mountains in Jamaica, which is, and I, that is a very beautiful place. There's actually a river running through our backyard. So that was a wonderful place to be too. So for many of my adult life, much of my adult life, I lived in, in, in the foothills of the Blue Mountains. So I'm very attached to places where there are, you know, where there are, you know, mountains and rivers and places like that. <laughs> and that's like Half Moon Bay then as well in Vancouver, is it? Yeah, well, Half Moon Bay, the yeah, there, yeah, there are mountains in the and, the, and there's mountains and the sea. So that's, that's a double blessing there. <laughs> yes. And it, it, so it, but it, saying that, I want to say something about Michigan because I've spent so much time here. It's great, and um, you know I don't write about it as much as I, sh- I, but I have a feeling I will once I'm away from it. I tend not to be able to write about something while I'm in it. I, I much of my writing about Jamaica has been done since I, I, I moved this, away from it. You this know? distance, yes. So I, but I, I there's. Much about this t- Michigan that I really love, I have come to love, you know. I, I always get a little frisson of excitement once I, <laughs> I start driving in from the airport. No, really, it does. There's just something about it that is. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put it into words, and I don't want to, to, to jinx what I'm trying to write, but I'm trying to write more about my time here and just being here and what that means, you know. Also, I have little friendships all over, you know, which are, you know, I've made, I, I talk a lot to people on the street here. I don't, well, you know that about me. I'm, I'm, I always have these conversations. I have, so I regard them as little friends, as friendships, you know. And um, so I, I will miss that. I will want to know how, you know, I have particular people here who live, you know, some people live on the street that I, you know, I look out for and I talk to them and I want to, I'll, want, I'll worry about them. So, yeah. So I, I will be writing about it, I'm pretty sure. But one, I think I need to not be here all the time in order to do that. No, it makes sense. It really yeah. does make sense. And good to also feel like, well, in a way, Michigan will be with you then. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, it's a big part. Of, it's so much a big part of my life, my dream life. You know, I your dream life. Yes. In <laughs> there, okay, I'll just share one little thing with you. Um, from the place I live now. I can see across 
this this right here, right outside where we are, and the cube. And like on a Sunday morning, sometimes there are some Asian students who do kata. They do um right, right. and it's very beautiful. There's a, the movement of the cube, and then they're moving in this. You know, this they make these wonderful. Um, it's kata. It's what you call kata, isn't it? They, they, is it like tai chi? Like, like yes, that, like tai, okay. yes, those moves, and um, it's just there's something quite. It, I almost think about Sundays, I associate Sundays as beginning in some ways with looking out and seeing these students doing these movements and and it's like it starts the day or something. In the same way that the president, I think, Every now he goes out and spins a cube. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love, that's one of, I think, one of my favorite things on campus. When I was yes. tasked with giving someone a tour, yeah. I bring them to the cube. It's, it's marvelous. <laughs> it is, yeah. Don't you think? It is. And that unexpectedness, even walking here today, um, I saw a student just sort of running <laughs> joyfully to it. It was spinning yes. and giving it a good, you know. It, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. You kind of have the feeling that, you know, it, it it keeps the world going somehow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or we can trust that it's it'll spin again. Yes. Even if it's not spinning now. Uh, mo- absolutely. Yeah. And so you'll miss the cube. <laughs> uh, it, it is or more what the cube signifies. Yeah. What it stands for. Yeah. A community of people who are moving. You know, who do things and make things happen. And and I'll miss the students terribly. You know, I've. You know, I, I get very attached to my students and their welfare, and I think about them, and I, you know, so I'll, I'll miss them very much. Uh, we'll take a short break, and then we'll come back. Today on the program, Lorna Goodison is here. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers right back. Old pirates, yes, they rabbi. Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pits But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have redemption songs, redemption songs. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery, none but ourselves can free our mind. Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Welcome back. You've got living writers. Lorna Goodison is here. Um, just had some Bob Marley. Mm. Would you like me to read a poem about Ann Arbor? Y- yes. Okay. Yes. It's called Ideas of Home. Winter has landed my boot box on a stone surrounded by snow. I swear I murmur, Ora cabeza. 
The rock is what I call home. All islanders do. And I'm in Blessed Ann Arbor, mainland, where I found safe harbor on the green sea of trees now becalmed, frosted. Ideas of a rockabessa propel me forward down the straits of Packard, past the Jewel Heart Center, where a wild beat poet is ash earned behind red doors. I stop and pay respect due him. Then I'm urgent, in need of touchdown upon ground of my being. On haste to enter into the land of spices, discoverer within sight of gold fields. That's one of my Anabra poems. <laughs> I, well, you know, I used to live down Packard. Yes. And this was, you know, my swift walk down Packard on a cold day. Yes. <laughs> past the Jewel Heart Center, where part of Allen Ginsberg's heart, I think his ashes part. Right. Yes, he divided up his ashes and some of it is in the Jewel Heart Center, as I understand it. I hope, I think that's true. No, I think you're right. Ken, yeah. Ken Michalowski told me that. <laughs> yes, and I think I was shocked a, to hear that there were pieces of Alan yes, in different places. Yes, yes. Like, uh, yeah. And I, I hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come here often when I was just here. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he'd come here. Yeah, but what are your so, memories of that? That everybody would be very excited oh. that Alan Ginsberg would be coming to town, <laughs> and we—I didn't think I'd know that one day he'd be cremated, and some of him would remain here. Right? But, Who knew that Ann Arbor was? Like, yeah, it's that important to him. But yeah. yes, but so this is just, a, and also the end of the poem talks about hurrying home to that silence, which, you know, they, you know, and re- referencing, you know, George Herbert, who is one of my favorite poets. And yeah, so that's one of my poems. And that's, lo- <laughs> that's actually lovely to think yeah. about this moment because there's so many, um, uh, the, like as you just said, with George Herbert even being there at the end, like there's, it's about all these communities because oh, you're yeah. talking about um, Jamaica and the, the the rock that's home, and then you've got Ann Arbor is the the mainland the, where I found safe harbor, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and then you've got across time and 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 nations. You've got George Herbert's. Coming. Well, a lot of my poems tend to do that because. Yes. Um, I, that's another thing that that's a big influence on my work, my writing, in that my my mother and her people are, were uber Anglicans or Episcopalians, like you know, yes, yes. like my mum. Yes, <laughs> so they, you know, they, I grew up with somebody who had the Book of Common, the language of the Book of Common Prayer, mm-hmm. at her fingertips, you know, and she would very often just quote from the Book of of, of you know. The, the, what she, would she, she say to you? Well, you know, she. Because I think, what did she think you most needed to hear, Lorna? (laughs) All kinds of things. Usually about, you know, sort of being, you know, in danger of being dead to trespassings and sins or something. No, no, I'm just making that up. I was taking her too. Yeah, but you know, and and the the King James Bible. So I I grew up with that. How the language moves in that. Yes, and just so, you know, and Jamaicans... Are very familiar with the language of the King James Bible. No other version, just the King James Bible, and they love that language, and it informs a lot of, you know, Jamaica, like Bob Marley's music, all of those, you know, reggae music. A lot of that good reggae music is informed by the language of that of the King James Bible. So, um, and when I w- I went to a, go- a girls' school in Jamaica, it was founded by the Anglican Church 115 years ago, and um. As part of everyday life, we would sing one of those hymns 
that were written by, you know, I always say that when there's a great hymn off wherever that will take place, the, the Episcopalians they, are going to win. The Anglicans win. will win. They will they? Yes. <laughs> you know, because they they'll have, beat the Methodists. They'll beat everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they had all those great English British poets who wrote those those poems, those, those those hymns, you know. That are poems. That are poems, you know. And anyway, but in, 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 and even the ones who weren't Episcopal, the Anglicans claimed them because you know we we used to sing William Blake's Jerusalem, you know, you know we'd sing George Herbert, we'd sing things written by hymns written by John Milton, we'd be you know John Keeble who was a very popular you know him poet and hymn writer in his time, all of those people and they were lo- those words are just absolutely lovely and I always had a fondness for George Herbert's lyrics so you know like teach me my God and King in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do it as for thee, a man that looks on glass and it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth through it pass and then the heavens espy, or may of thee partake nothing can be so mean which with this tincture for thy sake will not grow bright and clean. This is the famous stone that turneth all to gold. For that which God doth touch and own cannot for less be told or sold. Some, but anyway, so you see, and I knew all this by heart, you know, to say, no, you know. So every day I... Because it's <coughs> in you, because you've, yes. you've sung it. It's hardwired, it's hardwired into me, yeah. So, um, but those are wonderful images. And I think if you are exposed to that those images and those sounds, those ideas and images from a very early age. They can't help, well, in, certainly in my case, they couldn't help but inform the work, my, my, my writing, mm. you know? Because it feels like it's illuminating in some... Yeah, and, and so, mystery is at the heart of it. I'm, I'm big on, I love the idea that there being this mysterious, you know, the, you know, they say poet, you know, poems are, you know, come from riddles and charms. But, you know, I love that riddling effect that fact that sometimes you're really writing a charm because you need the poems to have, the words to have some effect on the hearer. You know, so all of those, I think, come from <laughs> reading and listening. I feel like listening. Fool Fool Rose. <laughs> oh. Is that time to bring one of these? Where- sure, my turn thanks poems. Um, this is a book. It's called Turn Thanks, and it's it's inspired by gratitude, the idea of being grateful, even for things that um, I never thought I'd be grateful for, but <laughs> <laughs> some tricky business. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, what should I read here? Um, this is the poem called Outwaiting the Crazy Wolf Moon, and um, <laughs> it's probably self-explanatory. In the north, the native people call this the moon when wolves go crazy. Here they warn against gathering bamboo and whisk at the time of the full moon's rising. For that is when the larvae swarm in bamboo joints and whisk is alive with insects. You will find that what you have gathered is a bundle of useless sticks, sick with parasites. It is wise to wait for the rise of the moon called the moon of glad to be alive. Soon after will follow the moon of new life, the, mene- the benevolent one which presides over the ice melting, the earth towing. Here is when resurrection lilies bloom by the walls of penitentiaries, burst out sudden from cracks in tombs, bloom straight up from the ground in the small yards of faithful lovers who bit their tongues and suck salt and learned strict patience and outweighted the mad moon of the crazy wolves. 
Uh, Talk about revival. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's just this, this also being in, in harmony and in sync with the ways of the natural world. You know, and, and people who, who do, like, gather straw and, and things like that to make. You know, people can make uh, wicker furniture. I, I I was speaking to somebody once who told me that, you know, there's a time when you can't gather that stuff. The because it because, won't hold, it won't. No, because apparently, depending on the, the, the time of, uh, you know, the, the phases of the moon, so, oh. it, so it might have, you know, it, there'll be parasites in them. But there's a time when, oh. you know, the moon is, is in a certain way in which... You know, the grass is clean and there are no parasites in them. I don't. I think that's what she said. It is. That is mysterious. Yeah. Too. <laughs> but you, no. But it's just but that people. It's now part of the natural world. Like exactly. And people, people who are close to the natural world know yeah. these things. They know but when is the right time to, 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 you know, to gather things or when to leave them alone. You know. Yeah. And and those can be mysteries for some of us who don't know. But oh, those precisely. who study and yeah. sort of look closely, I guess we all can know maybe very small bits of the world oh, and yeah. the rest will be mystery. Thank goodness. Yes. And you can trust <laughs> others knowledge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Turn thanks. It's such a wonderful title too for a collection. Actually, I was reading this morning, um, some of Zora Neale Hurston's <gasps> writings and, you know, she was such a wonderful writer, that woman, you know, and so alive and the things were just so rich. And, and one of the things she was saying is that um, she, w- she was talking about the, the practice of called Turn Thanks in Jamaica, where after, I think she said eight days after the wedding, you know, the bride and groom would go back to church She's, and, you know, sort of say thanks for my, our new life, our life together, you know. So she knew about it, about this turn thing. Because well, she had, if she was going, she spent to some study time in Jamaica, right? Because no, I think she was hanging out. I knew. Oh, some she, was <laughs> okay. so she, she was studying. She was studying, but yeah, no. I, I have a very, I, I'm very. I always have a very old friend or two, and I had a couple of older friends who, who knew, knew her, her when she when she came to Jamaica, and I said she had a good time. <laughs> so, yeah, she did some studying, but she, she had she had a nice time, you know. How could you not? Yeah, I yeah, imagine. Well, but, uh, yes, <laughs> but she was. Yeah, it wasn't all work. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> What's it like, Lorna, to look? Because turn thanks. What time for you in your life was this manuscript coming together? Mm, I was here. I was, but uh, sometimes you know the books take. Sometimes you know, as you would know, the poems take a while. They're in the make. They're I'm making them for years before they actually are finished. And um, but I rem- I remember being here and trying to finish this because there there are several poems in here about spring not coming and things like that. <laughs> those are very true. <laughs> Texas laughing back there too. It's true. Those There's are- a whole set <laughs> called Winter Dreams, and yeah. It's about winter in Ann Arbor. <laughs> so, so it's it is something like you've been reckoning with this Michigan place for a while, and we'll just yeah. have to see what is coming, right? Too. What I do know though is that um, one of the wonderful things about this place is that it is a place where you produce. People here work. You know, you ju- you just have to kind of. 
get quiet and get, you know, stay still and just work, you and know. Are you saying then that maybe the coldness and the, or the winter... I have no idea. Helps? <laughs> it helps, yeah. I think so. As long as you have a little space heater so that's you right. can move your that's joints. Right. And... That's right. I think so, yes. <laughs> but it's pretty... I was not as inclined to enter into my deep, go deep down into myself as when I came here and I just knew... I, I, I'd lived in cold places before and this... Just being here just made me know that now it's winter. Now you go deep and get quiet and just work. <laughs> I love that. Well, okay. I think that's something inspirational we can all hold on to because we've got some months ahead of I, maybe I think you know, turning to this. And I hate to say it, but I will not be joining in this year. <laughs> I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Today on Living Writers, Lorna Goodison is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Southern trees bear strange fruit Blood on the leaves and blood at the root Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. writers Lorna Goodison here in the studio um, in December and (laughs) (laughs) we're talking about winter we're talking about writing and we're talking about um, some some joy in the natural world Mm -hmm. memories too yes absolutely um but I all one of the lovely things about you know winter is that I really, as like everybody else, I relish the warmth. When it comes, I'm so, I've never been so appreciative of the warmth. Yes. You know, I really, I really am very appreciative of those days. But um, I'm also just very appreciative of life now. You know, I'm at the stage of my life where I'm just so grateful. Um, I, and I think about, you know, people, you know, I have this poem about for Charlie Chaplin. You want me to read that? Because... I you, love that. Yes. <laughs> One of the lovely things about being here, and, and we were talking about that with the retirement of Nick Del Banco yesterday, was that 
I mean, how fortunate are we that we're in a place where all these great writers of the world come through here and we get to see here, see them and hear them. And it's just, just amazing. And one of the, the lovely experiences I had was when Grace Paley came here. And I really, I love her work. And she is, she's just a lovely person, you know. And, um, so and we, a revolutionary. Yes. She's like, she's solid. <laughs> to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, Paul, like Paul Robeson, you know, they're, they're like true people. And um, I remember we kind of took to each other for some reason. We should re- we, and we ended up, I had breakfast with her. She said, come and have breakfast with me. And so the two of us sat there for a long time and chatted away. And, and she was saying that, you know, you, you have to read the newspaper and the Bible. She said, you know, that you read everything, but you need to always read that. And, and I was thinking about that because many years ago, I saw a photograph of Charlie Chaplin sitting on a beach in, in Jamaica. And I think it may have been in Arakobessa because I won't go into a long set of things about why I, I, I think it was there. Because um, it, this part of Jamaica, um, Noel Coward lived there as did Ian Fleming. They're all, it was all this, and then all... The writer of like the James Bond yes, series. James Bond was created in Jamaica right there, the, the whole series, yeah. And um, his place is called Golden Eye, like one of the, oh, yeah, man. amazing house. And it's now owned by Chris Blackwell, who is, you know, who owns Island Records, who is, you know, he, he's like... And weren't you just down there for a musical festival, Lorna, or was it a year ago now? Or it's been a while. <laughs> You just down, I'm collapsing. It's time been a, a while. It's, it's been a couple of years, but okay, I had a good don't... fortune to have lunch with Chris Blackwell one day. He said, "I mean, he said, come have lunch." And so we went out to Golden Eye and saw Ian Fleming's desk, and you know, and and Blackwell is an amazing person because he he at one time he owned the largest independent record label in the world. That is amazing. Yes, he just you know he see you too, Joshua Tree, Bob Marley, you know Melissa Etheridge, all of those people. You know, clash. Oh, came out of of his, his yeah of Ireland, and but he's just he's a really interesting man. He's just he wears his power lightly, and he anyway. But so we were there, and I was thinking, you know, this and his mother was very close to to Ian Fleming and and, and Noel Coward. They were all they were all you know, and all the rich and famous and beautiful people of the world used to come near. But here, the point is, Charlie Chaplin was such a an advocate of you know he the little man he he just loved the ordinary people of the world his whole his the whole tramp. project yes was Symbol- about you know symbolic lo- you know and so he would have been hobnobbing with all of these people but in my poem I don't have him meeting any of those great people he's just meeting the very ordinary people of Jamaica because he you know he really loved who are the great people yes exactly so it's called Charlie Chaplin at Golden Clouds which is a beautiful home. That was built by... Anyway, it, it's too long. It's, it's now a hotel. It doesn't look anything like it used to look. But mm. when he went there, he said it was the most beautiful place. He said it was paradise. Charlie Chaplin at Golden Clouds. Charlie Chaplin declared Oracabessa paradise. 101 years ago on this day, time stood still there for him. At Golden Clouds, he smiled and checked in for a time, his bag of crosses carried from childhood, bag of abandonment and want that made him identify with the poor little man, baggy pants, coat too tight, cast-off shoes so outsized he wore them right to left, cane and a bowler hat, wicked man's mock moustache, Jesus, what a job, responsibility for making this world laugh. 
Chaplin looked out silently from his room window framing the Caribbean Sea and saw rowing hard big fishermen who cannot swim. He went for a walk and watched banana men dressed like tramps, cultivating acres of hillside land. The inheritors of earth about their business, not caring about who the great man was, except to offer him a jelly coconut, or a cabeza sun can be hot, or like the chambermaid, recite a psalm as she turned down his clean sheets, that he'd pass the night in peace. To rise up come morning, rested. Well. And you know, I, I read that poem on the BBC last two years ago for a Christmas on a program called Gift Giving because he gave us the gift of laughter. And I, I don't think there's any more important that is such a wonderful gift, you know, to, to have given to the world. Um, and I love that line in there where you did you say, Jesus, what a job, or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine that's your, you know, you get to, you listen, here's your job. You, you're to make this world laugh. Yes. That's not an easy job. And, he said, <laughs> and laugh and then he and make people think too. Oh, like yeah. Both, oh, right? yeah. yeah. Um, uh, can I read? Did I tell I'm a big fan of, of John Keats. You know that. Yes. <laughs> a huge fan of John Keats. And um, one of the things... Uh, about I, I want to read a poem if you about for my cousin Joan because I had a cousin who went to live in uh, let's start again a big branch of my family emigrated to Montreal Canada in 1930 so I have family in Canada for, for since 1930 I've had family in Canada so she went to live in in Montreal and then she went to live in in Calgary, where Keith Taylor is from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everything's connected. Yes. So, um, but she, she, she died. She, we're about the same age and she, 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 she died. So I used to travel up to, 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 to Calgary to sit with her. And one of the things we used to do is um, I used to read to her. And she, was, she, she loved John Keats too. So I'd read Keats's poems to her. And when she died, she left me her book her no, a book of John Keats's poems and letters, you know, with our little our notes in them. So I always remember her. But um, this poem is an elegy for her, and it also makes reference to you know some Native Canadian traditions because she was a very open person and and and, and she was very very open to all kinds of influences and um, beliefs. So she did, in fact, have a friend who was a shaman who would come and visit her. So the poem is called Rites. Past the Drumheller Badlands and Sylvan Lake, the shaman came at dawn by way of red deer and made for the foothills, where he rattled bones in a bladder pouch, built fire in a smudge pot, and washed her in sweet grass smoke, to no avail. And if special rights could have been transferred for me to become a Blackfoot medicine woman, skilled in the use of puffballs to stem hemorrhage, and the administration of mind-clearing bullberries beaten off branches just after the fall frost, had I been made honorary blood or pegan dancer in a jingle dress trimmed with copper tinkling cones to sound scatter for crabs, I would have doctored and danced. Instead, I stood by the window and watched her go the way 
of the great female buffaloes that head smashed in jump. Those matriarchal leaders of herds, <clears throat> those matriarchal leaders of herds with wild bangs of coarse black hair and dowager humps she and I dreaded we'd inherit. We thought we had more time, reads a caption in an exhibition on Plains Indians at the Glenbow Museum. We thought we had more time. Thank you for reading that one, Moina. I love that one. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't know, I wanted to remember her today. Joan. Yes. Joan. We were, you know, you, you ever had a relative who was more like a sister? We were more like sisters. We were close in age and our mothers were sisters, so we were like sisters, you know? And she was, she was a great person. Fabulous sense of humor. And, yeah. So she loved Charlie Chaplin too. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but we loved the two of us. Loved John Keats. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And when you're looking, when you have her book now, Lorna, and you have her notes, it's mm -hmm. it's like her mind is you can. She's in conversation with Keats and you. Yeah, absolutely. But fun. That's, she she left that in her will for me. She wrote it. And she wanted me to have her Keats. Yeah. I've, um, the connection I, to oh yes no 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 please you go ahead when you were mentioning Canada it made me think of the story because I feel like the memoir is also talking about how the family that was part of it mm -hmm. but what were you going to say Lorna <laughs> I don't know I don't remember tea these days that happens you know you think oh I have an idea <laughs> I don't know but, get, no, but well, more ideas come yes yeah, they do thank God yeah but I I read you know I I I was one of in one of my many incarnations. I no, I I used to be a bookmobile librarian, you know, and I loved that. I I, I don't think I had a, there's a better job to travel on a big old bus and give books to students, to kids who love to read, you know. So being on a bookmobile, I had a lot of time to read between stops because it was in rural Jamaica, and so you know you travel sometimes for hours between you know one little school and another and it was it was a wonderful experience because i realized the value you know of people who love books just love books and you'd get these children in these really remote parts of jamaica in these schools that were had just very basic amenities but they'd be out there waiting on the bookmobile just, you know, with great <laughs> excitement, you know, just to be able to get a new book, you know. And it was just the best thing to be able to do that, you know, to give them books. You're the angel of books. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then I, I've done a lot of different kinds of things too because I, I always think it's a good idea. Like you, you've done a number of different, you know, kinds of jobs. Just, you know, that makes your work interesting and it feeds it. All of it feeds the work. And, um, yeah, so it's not so cerebral all the time. There's nothing wrong with being cerebral, but, you know, I like sometimes, well, just from my own taste, I like, and I, I like the idea of living in the world and that the world, you know, comes into your work. And, and ride the bus. Yeah, and ride a bus. I tell, I always tell my students, you need to get Ride a bus, ride a bus. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah. You have to ride the bus. I've had lovely experiences here just paying attention, though. More than anything else, you know, you need to pay attention. Lorna. Mm? We're done? We, 
We are. We'll, just, we'll done for now. Let's say that. Okay. okay. All right. We'll we'll say au revoir to everyone. Okay. Au revoir. Until, well, <laughs> until the next time. Till the next time, and you know, much love to you all, and thank you for. Oh, thank you for everything, Ann Arbor, and you know, this is a very special and very blessed place, and I'm. I consider myself extremely fortunate to have been here and I hope to keep coming back sometime. Sometimes, yeah, I'm not, you can cut this, it doesn't make any sense. Thanks, goodbye. (laughs) You've been listening to Living Writers today. Lorna Goodison is here. Thank goodness. Um, And I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Yes, and listen to T. She knows everything. Hello, everybody. This is the Daily Sports Report on WCBN Sports. I am Jackson Bunis. I'm Nabil Vague. I'm Teddy Gutkin. And we don't have a host for the first five minutes of today's show. (laughs) This should be very fun. We will get into a bunch of sports today. And um, we can start off with the NFL. We can do a preview of tonight's game. You know, we have the... As they're describing it, an AFC clash between the Titans and the Steelers. Now, this should actually be interesting. I think this is a big test for the Titans to see if they are, you know, as good as they claim or if they're just rising to the top of a mediocre AFC South. I think it may be an even bigger test for the Steelers. They've had a lot of big wins this year, but they haven't really beat any top-tier teams. I think Big Ben, especially in a year where he's had mediocre statistics needs to come out slinging the ball tonight and they need to prove that they belong in the conversation for an AFC title. Yeah, I think uh I think today's going to rely actually um really on Big Ben cuz I think t- the Titans have a solid run defense and I think Le'Veon Bell w- won't do as well today, but I think he'll be effective in the passing game and R- Roethlisberger played really well at the end of the last game and he was just he had like the vintage throw to Antonio Brown for like a 32-yard gain to get them into field goal position and I think that was great. So I do think it will be interesting right now because uh, we've seen that Roethlisberger has struggled a little bit uh, throwing. You know, he has a lot of interceptions uh, for this point in the for this point in the season, and he's going up against a Titans defense which has Kevin Bayard, the safety with the most interceptions, currently leads the league. So I think that'll be an interesting matchup to see if Roethlisberger even will attempt to throw to where 